1: As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is Amy Carroll, and the show is Partner Up with Amy Carroll, and this is the 72nd episode of my show. If you want to hear more about me or what the show is about, feel free to listen to previous episodes on my website, carolcoaching.com, or go directly to the voiceamerica.com business channel. And you can download the app or just tune in using your favorite podcast app. If you missed last week's show, I interviewed Sarah Santacruz, And we discussed how Sarah's been running a successful LinkedIn consulting business for over a decade, which inspired a yearning in her to create a global movement, encouraging people to bring more empathy and kindness to business and marketing. So be sure to check that out from last week, January 7th. And today my guest is Nancy Watt. Welcome, Nancy. Hi, Amy. It's nice to see you. You too. And Nancy, I'm I don't know what conference it was. And we both know is pretty sure we met at an applied improv conference. Correct. And we'll we'll explain to listeners in a minute what we mean by that. I don't know. Was it the Toronto one? Was it no Montre- Montreal or
2: my goodness. It could have been that far back maybe. Yeah, Montreal yeah. in 2015 or we've been Bristol. to Oxford and Paris, Oxford. And yeah. LA. Yeah.
1: Oxford, I think. That's right. Yeah. Oxford, Paris. That's right. Yeah. There were some good times. So uh, Nancy, I want to take a minute to tell the listeners about you because, oh my goodness, listeners, you are in for a fascinating conversation. Nancy delivers powerful, creative, and memorable sessions. She uses tools and techniques of improvisational theater. In fact, for the past four years, Nancy has been rated as one of the top five leadership workshops at the Microsoft Global Conference. Well done, Nancy. Thank you. I'm not surprised because I have seen you in action. (laughs) And uh, listeners, Nancy's workshops have been delivered to engineering and science departments at Harvard, Princeton, MIT, Rutgers, New Jersey Institute of Technology, University of Toronto, University of Waterloo, and McMaster University. Her work in the construction and engineering sector have led to collaborations with the American Society of Civil Engineers, Engineers Without Borders, the Deep Foundations Institute, the Society of Women Engineers, the Geoprofessional Business Association, and many more. Nancy's trained at Second City's Improv, Conservatory, and Sketch Writing programs, both in Toronto and Chicago. She has a BA in psychology and sociology, a certificate in applied positive psychology. And she's, like myself, an applied improv practitioner. She's a graduate of Cornell's executive program in diversity and inclusion. She is also certified in EQI 2.0 and was the first graduating cohort of the adaptability quotient from, and, and Nancy, do I say this right, AQAI, or how do you, how do you say that? Nope, that is perfect. Okay, yeah. there we go. All right. I'm 10 for 10 right now. Let's see how I do. <laughs> so Nias, I want to come back to the, uh, the su- subject of positive psychology because this is a fascinating topic for me. And you on your website, I remember reading you describe it as a science of optimal human functioning. Correct. And rather than being a prescription to pos- being positive all the time, it's more accurately it, it more accurately determines how humans learn to suffer well. And that, so, well. that, that's what really got me because I am, you know, I'm, I'm a girl who just likes to avoid suffering, right? So
2: I really want to hear more about this. Oh, thank you. So um, Marty Seligman is the past president of the American Psychological Association, and we credit him with really being the father of positive psychology. And traditionally, the, the discipline and the practice of therapeutic psychology has always been... Uh, you know, getting people back to normal or a baseline or looking at the the abnormal psychology and trying to have them recover in whatever facet that may be. The emerging world of positive psychology is what some practitioners call north of neutral, north of neutral. Mm -hmm. What? What is it? What type of interventions and practices are people using to to thrive and and me like you as you say I try to avoid you know suffering at all costs oh you do okay and <laughs> and it happens to be a fact of life we yeah. will suffer our children will suffer our teams and our organizations will suffer and you know some when they are dealt life's big fat adversity they they fall down and some stay down some yeah. stay down and others and others get back up so what is that? What is that? Mm. That fascinates me, you know, um, learning to suffer well. We talk about, you know, the um, the art and science of resiliency and hope and adaptability. And there have been, like all disciplines, the emerging, you know, sort of waves of where this is going, right? The darker side of positive psychology, you know, Be- and and there's good research to show that, you know, if we are happy all the time or positive all the time, that is bordering on fraudulence. And, and mm-hmm. I want to take a moment to clarify that that is not what positive psychology is. It's not right. some sort of pap type of happyology, right? Like, oh, God. Um, but it is the this uh, this study of how humans can thrive in the face of adversity and how we learn to suffer well. It's fascinating. And since, um, and it's now embedded in all sorts of organizational, uh, learning development programs, um, all sports, psychology, all of that. It's, it's really a a great body of work.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, as you're talking something, a memory popped into my mind, and I don't know if it's an example of suffering. Well, um, When I first moved to Switzerland, I had a job at a hotel school. I was a student responsible for the student life. And um, they had major financial problems. So it looked like people were going to get fired, except I knew my job was protected. So it didn't occur to me. I I left for the summer, had an amazing summer, whereas my friend who was a receptionist and she had been warned she might lose her job, she didn't have a great summer because she was pretty sure she was going to lose her job when we got back. So we get back. I get um, called into the boss's office, and I get fired. And I'm like, I've got, I've got, I've got. "Oh my!" So it was a bit of shock. And they were having a uh, an, a, a team meeting, a staff meeting that later that day. And I asked my boss. I said, "Would you mind if I come to the meeting? Because you know, I'd like to help people see how we can transition without me in this role." And and that was like just hours later and and he was telling me oh you know you know Amy you can go home take the day off I'm like oh no I'm good and I mean I was sad to lose my job it was a shock and everything though I was kind of amazed that I was able to within a few hours just say well let's see you know how can we help this transition be as smooth as possible for the people who are going to stay here
2: fascinating yeah I was kind of shocked I love that I love that when you say Um, You know, suffer well, we have the ability to um, define that, define that for ourselves. And what I love about what you did, uh, you know, you and I were chatting earlier about adaptability, how we uh, mentally and emotionally pivot. You mm-hmm. immediately went into the future, not mm-hmm. denying the the pain and the sadness, as you say, about losing the job, but looking out for others, being of service and knowing how um, the career, the, the job will be transitioned by others. Great yeah. example. Great, and, great and example. It, it was
1: funny because when I went into the meeting, no one wanted to look at me. <laughs> because they're carrying all this shame and embarrassment and so, and they're like oh I don't know how to react and I was just like hey guys <laughs> yeah so yeah I'll see what I'll be doing in a couple of months and yeah that was also fascinating to see how it, it, uncomfortable it was for other people as well right right yeah yeah excellent
2: yeah so it certainly is I do a uh, we have a program called Happy, which is um an acronym it's happy with an IE. It is yeah. how to apply positive psychology improv exercises. And nice. um, and you know, we pivot, we doing these exercises experientially so that we are present and so that and and we can take an adverse reaction and be able to reframe it in our mind and and uh play it out accordingly using the academic evidence-based. Uh, research of resiliency and hope and grit and, you know, mental flexibility or the process of unlearning all of these social science concepts are great to play with.
1: Yeah. So here's a very concrete example for listeners. Tell me if you came across this at the last, and it's a, it's a very simple improv exercise, which I'm sure, you know, and though it hit me in the brain at the last improv conference which was online just a few months ago and several different sessions it, it popped up the idea of new choice right. and so when you're in a position and you're suffering and you're unhappy and you don't know what to do about it you know someone you can either say to yourself or someone can say to you new choice and you come up with a new solution a new solution you know so it maybe you've lost your job um Oh, this is going to be terrible. New choice. Oh, this is going to be a lot of free time. Uh, New choice. Oh, this is going to be a chance to start that art class. You know, so it's, it's um, that's to me, a very concrete, great application of an improv exercise to use in that moment to reframe. It
2: is, and forces the individual to uh, get out of that uh, same thinking, you know, forces. Some people call that new choice, Amy. And uh, at Second City, we used to call that should have said. I should have said, and uh-huh. I played it yesterday with a group of engineers and, you know, uh, they have a, they have an improv scene and they're going back and forth in a conversation. And then every once in a while I will call out, should have said, and they have to retract their very last line and pivot and say something else. And it's fascinating, fascinating to watch who can, uh, uh, who is happy to do this, who is able to pivot and who has a real speed bump who is emotionally and intellectually invested in their thought pattern, in their way of a uh, way of thinking, way of knowing, way of being, and how yes. and how we can alter that. It is necessary and uh and creative jarring and, and, yes. discomfort, and discomfort as you know is the point. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And sometimes it can be very
1: joyful and delightful the, the responses oh, people come up with. <laughs>
2: A hundred percent. It so is. Everyone they get to delight in themselves, you know, which is the the beauty of applied improv. You know, for for me, applied improv is tapping that intuitive knowledge that rarely sees the light of day. You know, our spontaneity gives us wisdom and we we discover something in ourselves, interestingly and importantly, only when we connect with another.
1: Yeah. Say that again. Our spontaneity gives us wisdom.
2: Yes. Yes. Which is contrary, which might not sound intuitively, uh, you know, which might not be intuitive. I mean, how can we on an improv stage who look like we're just making stuff up? How? is that wise? How does that tap um, a a different type of knowledge and wisdom? And I tell you, the secret is that on an improv stage, when we are, uh, we are forced to be incredibly mindful and present, and we listen differently. Mm -hmm. Listening is a sacrificial act. Listening is a sacrificial act. Listening as a sacrificial act forces me to be changed as a result of what I just heard. I mean, imagine that. Imagine if we were able to have political discourse like that. Imagine if I was able to listen to, I don't know, my teenage son better than I, or, you know, imagine if I was able to listen and allow myself the humility and the wisdom to be changed as a result of what I just heard. And, uh, and that is why that is what taps that intuitive knowledge and that wisdom.
1: Yeah. That's amazing.
2: I I, I want to go
1: off on three more tangents. I'm going to discipline myself because I want to come back to the topic of improv and let's rewind a little bit for listeners, because just to be on the safe side. So everyone's on the same page, Nancy, give us your definition of improv and your definition definition of applied
2: improv. Right. Right. Well, um, I would probably reiterate what I just said, Amy, that, you know, um, I'm going to show you a slide here that um, when we have um, that intuitive knowledge that rarely sees the light of day, we are able to tap something that is not, uh, that did not appear to us before. You know, I mean, I know for some of our listeners and watchers today, they think improv, like, What the heck, right? That makes no sense. But when we connect in a playful and joyful way with meaning and with purpose, it gives us that powerful connection because people don't truly connect with another human being through certainty, that we connect through vulnerability. And We connect
1: through vulnerability, yes, yes, correct. yes. We do yep.
2: not connect, we, we connect through vulnerability, we do not connect through certainty. Certainty yeah. is akin to opinion, and everybody's right. got one of those. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the, um, and that gives us this aha moment, right? Mm-hmm. That, that connection and that discovery in ourselves and the, the discovery of what we have just learned from listening mm-hmm. actively gives us that. So my um, my definition of improv is that that we tap an intuitive knowledge and spontaneity that Mm -hmm. delights us and gives us some necessary wisdom through the necessity of discomfort Mm -hmm. and applied improv is, you know is the practical application of evidence-based social science. I'm sorry to sound like a geek when I say that, (laughs) but about four years ago, someone called me at Microsoft, someone called me a pracademic. And and it's- Yes, I love that. Right? Pracademic. I don't care what the theory says. I don't care what the paper says in the research. I mean, I deeply do, but it is synthetic knowledge. It does not resonate- With the, uh, with the individual or the team or the, uh, you know, the people I'm working with until they experience it, until right. they bring themselves as an ensemble with a curiosity mindset, all of that. So it is the applied improv. I was working with some uh, physicists from Princeton, and I tried to speak to them in their own language. Right. And I said, think of it as a laboratory, where we get to experiment with different states of being, different states of being. And and we know how, you know, in in scientific uh, parlance, you know, a phase change, for instance, right? We go from a solid and ice to water to steam, that phase Mm -hmm. change. We can experience that as humans when we go from an intellectual state of mind to a creative one to a deeply connected one. That experience, that meaningful and resonating experience is what uh, applied improv can deliver. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. And I guess I'm gonna guess that that really spoke to the scientists. Did I was lucky because I, you know, oh my God, Amy, I'm like that. You you've listed some of my clients, and you know, the more unconventional an arena, a, a venue, I can do this, the better I like it. You know, I did I it bet. with a group who were incarcerated. I I worked with a group of wow. I worked with a you know, give me the scientists, give me the most reticent people who don't think they are creative or who you know look at improv like some sort of.
1: Silly pastime. And, yeah.
2: And that's what I like. That's what. Yeah. I
1: like. Yeah. So as you were speaking it, uh, I there's a book that I just started listening to today that I'm pretty sure you know the title of. And it's making me think about um, when you talk about thinking about improv and scientists, the book by Adam Grant. Think again.
2: Love Adam Grant. at a Wharton, the youngest tenured professor out of the University of Pennsylvania. He's wow. great. And he's got a great podcast and is a wonderful, uh, is a wonderful speaker. He's um how, how do we change our mind, right? Yes. And um, and he talks about some personas that we can become emotionally invested in when we have an opinion that we think is synonymous with fact you know, newsflash, it is not. Mm -hmm. And uh, he talks about being the uh, the uh, prosecutor or the politician. And, you know, all with, uh, you know, these different personas have a secondary investment in uh, disseminating their opinion, making sure that their uh, their opinion is solidified, and he talks yeah, about yeah. things like the attention bias. You know, you, some of your listeners might have heard of that. Uh, attention bias is where we seek out information that reaffirms our already established opinion. You know, yeah, it's why news it have, we have right wing and left wing, and like it. You know, it's um, but the the necessary humility to change our mind and in improv uh, parlance more, the the strength and the courage to change our status, to bear, to withstand the uh, necessary uh, process of allowing ourselves to let go of what no longer works for us mm-hmm. and adopt a new way of thinking, a new way of being is, yeah. is what his research is about, and his yeah. it is fascinating. Great book. Highly Isn't recommend it? it.
1: Yes, and one there was one quote I came across today. Um, Those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. George oh Bernard Lord. Shaw. I'm right? so feeling that. Where'd you get that? That came from his book. Oh, Those okay. who cannot change <laughs> their minds cannot change anything. George Correct. Bernard Shaw.
2: Ah, it was Shaw. Right, right. Yes.
1: Makes sense, right? Boy, that's a good one. So, Nancy, I want to get into your social experiments. As you say, improv for good. Yes. And I'm sure you have some great stories to share.
2: Okay. Well, um, thank you so much, Amy. It, It matters to me that what I do... Um, makes a difference, right, makes a difference in people's lives. And I know that we have something powerful going on here with Applied Improv. And, and, you know, and just having the joy and delight and the connection and the laughter, all well and good, no harm, no foul, nothing wrong with that. However, I've been involved with three different social experiments now, and they are immensely uh, satisfying. The okay. first one was lowering social anxiety disorder with a group of at-risk youth in the city that I live in. Uh, all uh, the, the youth aged 17 to 25 suffered from social anxiety disorder. Uh, together with the clinicians and the psychologists and some social workers at this satellite mental health drop-in clinic here in Hamilton, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, we developed a 12-week improv boot camp. And... Oh my God, a more frightened group and incredibly creative, pierced, tattooed, wonderful wonderful group of individuals I've I've never I, I've had the pleasure of working with and uh, we had proper pre and post qualitative and quantitative measures to to look at the lowering of that symptomology that paper is published in synapse the journal of psychology neuroscience and behavior and has since been replicated in about 20 different social agencies and hospitals and how crazy cool is that? I'm still in touch with some of these people. I have, um, they call me Improv Mom because, <laughs> you know, and I just, uh, I am very, very fond of them. And then we continued when COVID hit, uh, we um, continued online and they called awesome. it awesome. They called it not attention disorder, they called it connection deficit disorder. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> we didn't have that. So uh so we continue to do it
1: online. and how often in that that original 12-week program in how many times many hours a week or yeah, yeah, or walk well, me through it. it. Was
2: a one two-hour workshop uh once a week for 12 weeks. And it was, I was impressed that they came, more impressed that they came back. Yes, came back, right? Yes, we had one uh, young woman and she was uh, she came with her psychologist. She came with her therapist and the therapist told me, don't ask Allison to do anything. And I'm like, what? You did not do something. (laughs) And literally, Amy, this uh, this 18 year old young woman stayed under the table and I tasked Mm. her with, you know, there's a there's an improv exercise called uh, freeze. Freeze and we and it's where uh, two players on stage uh, when the off uh, when someone calls freeze they have to tableau they absolutely have to freeze in the physicality they get tapped out by another improviser who adopts their physicality and start a whole new scene. And so all Allison had to do from underneath the table was yell freeze and she did and she totally knew what she was doing. She would take it, she would call it out at just the right point in the scene. It was she wonderful. became the director. She you, did.
1: Built, she totally brilliant. did. She totally. Yeah, so you you gave her a role of of yep. status and importance. Yeah, you're on to me that's fantastic I love that yeah sometimes when I do an exercise and I've got somebody who's resistant I'm like well I really need an observer could you be the observer <laughs> and oh, then I get I, right and then I tell them the the because um, the, it's usually a an enigma it's some kind of um, thing that the it's like an active it's an, a listening exercise and there's information that one has that he doesn't have the other doesn't have or vice versa. And so the observer gets to have the inside scoop and knows all the information and then goes around seeing, you know, assessing how people are doing. So, yeah.
2: Love that tactic. That's so smart. Love Yeah. That. Hey, That's listen, awesome.
1: we're, let's pause here. We're going to okay. take a short break. And when we come back, I want to hear another of your social experiments if you'd Thank be willing you. to share it. Okay, great. So listeners, you can connect with and find out more about Nancy Watt directly on her website. And that's nancywattcom. Let me spell that. dot com. And listeners, if you're ready to take your superhero partner powers into the next decade, join me for my online leadership presence course. You'll find details on my website, carolcoaching.com. That's two hours and two hours. When we come back from the break, we'll be hearing more from Nancy. So stay tuned. You're listening to partner up with Amy Carroll on the voice America business channel.
0: Do you have colleagues, family members, or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated, or annoyed by others? As a no nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make your partner look good is a philosophy from improvisational theater, as well as Amy's favorite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behavior changes in voice, body language, words, and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to partner up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy.
1: Welcome back. My guest today is Nancy Watt. We've been discussing how applied improv is such a powerful and effective way to teach people, life skills. In fact, we're going to move now into another example of a social experiment that Nancy did. And so Nancy, I'm just going to turn over to you. I want to hear all about the details of this one.
2: Oh, that's so fun. Well, I was approached by the, uh, it was something, an organization called the LEPc, a local employment planning board who was struggling with the number of individuals who were unemployed for a long time, and they also had a list of those skills that employers were needing more than anything else, and I tell you, organizations like this have been doing interview skills and resume writing workshops to death and nothing was working. And so they thought, well, how about we bring in Nancy and have a much more experiential academic type, you know, improv boot camp. And that is indeed what I did, a six-week improv boot camp. We took 15 individuals who had been unemployed for a lengthy period of time for a multitude of reasons, social reasons, mental health reasons, um, physical, uh, you know, limitations, all of that. And we took the list of skills that employers were demanding, like Adaptability, communication, listening, collaboration—all of those so-called soft skills that these this group of individuals were really lacking. Okay. Over six weeks, I built an ensemble out of this wonderful motley crew of individuals. Like we had, they were just wonderful, and you know, um, and we had audacious goals for this. We said at the end of six weeks, eighty percent. Of the participants in that study would have achieved one of three goals. One, that they would be gainfully employed full-time. Two, that they would be uh, engaged in some sort of retraining program at their community college or or something like that. Or thirdly, that they had identified something in that six-week program whereby they needed some counseling, they needed some support. And we met those goals and it blew the charts off of they they had never had anything so successful. If you don't mind me saying it was wildly crazy successful. And we're talking to the insurance industry because they are plagued with with people on long-term disability and, and all of those things. So I tell you, there's this one woman and her name is Christine. She was the most introverted. She was just unbelievably... Um, shy. And we did this character game and she, you know, personified herself as a mouse. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's a long story, but suffice to say, Amy, that this woman came out in the most joyful, creative way. And her entire career for over 30 years, she had had this administrative jobs, filing jobs, quiet jobs, just mm. you know, that. And she now is the assistant manager of a retail store in a mall for it's called Bed Bath and Beyond. I don't know if you're, you know, you have. Yeah, the, we have in the I, US, okay, not, in the, so, not in Europe. <laughs> I mean, look at the skills that she had to acquire to excel and thrive in that job, right? That she manages employees, she manages customers, she's, you know, doing creative merchandising, all of that. And she loves it and she loves it. That was revelatory. That You know, and um, and we have since and then we had a train the trainer program as well. So I trained a bunch of the other uh, social workers and, um, you know, uh, employment counselors to be able to use some very specific coaching and improv activities to get them to listen differently or, you know, uh-huh. collaborate more effectively. And, and that. Mm-hmm. so that was a wonderful, that was a crazy social experiment and one that is ongoing in different avenues. And then thirdly, and this is one close to my heart, and I know yours too, uh, diversity and inclusion. Diversity yes. and inclusion is a, is a monster and something that I believe is the seminal conversation of the decade. With our changing workforce, with our um, demographics, with the uh, rate of change of our workplace and technological change, if we don't get this right, organizations fail and we see it. it. So um, part of what fascinates me around the adaptability quotient and the social science around uh, applied improv and some tactics that we use is the process of unlearning unlearn uh-huh. a great mm-hmm. researcher here is uh, Barry O'Reilly he's done a lot of work in this regard it is my contention that organizations who have not met their diversity equity and inclusion goals are are, are stymied they are stuck in this compliance versus culture you know they have not moved the behavioral dial because Got they have it. not unlearned what is necessary before they learn a new way right? okay And it is, um, and one of the wonderful things about uh, the exploratory work, the experiential and discovery work of applied improv is that we get to see our unconscious bias at work. We get to see where our privilege and status shows up. Right. We get to so, you have a
1: concrete example of how that shows up, because this is really fascinating to me.
2: Sure. So we have um, you are familiar with allyship, for example. We parallel what it means to be an ally with what it means to be in a cast with a with an ensemble, but we have to uh, allow ourselves a certain amount of vulnerability and and uh, an acceptance and admitting of um, who we are, where we come from, and what we bring to the table. That is where people shield themselves from the get go. Right. You know they um, and I often say, you know, information is just giving out. But communication is getting through. And -hmm. when we talk about when we play um, status games and privilege games and we understand the status change in in a scene, we debrief that and we dissect it through dialogue and people share how they felt when they um, had their status changed. Or, or perhaps something like code switching. Many of your listeners will know you know, the, that term. To, uh, the code switching means that um, I, I pretend to be something I'm not in the environment that I am. You know, it often really exacerbates things like the imposter syndrome and, mm-hmm. and feelings of fraudulence. But of course, we feel compelled to do that because that is the culture. That is the environment. We think um, it's purpose- expected of us hundred percent the mm-hmm. prevailing if if the prevailing culture is um white male then they are not realizing that that code switching is even going on right until they go into a deep immersive four week diversity and inclusion improv where they get to you know try on the different lens of age gender ethnicity socioeconomic mm-hmm. class you know mm-hmm. and and where do they belong and where do they not and mm-hmm. how does their bias show up and and how do they how do they then pivot out of that experience you know um, it 's fascinating and and transformative and uh, I was very lucky to do this in uh, a large engineering organization and why they decided to do this as a very unconventional part of their diversity and inclusion initiative is the fact that. You know, they, they have 800 employees. We put 200 of their employees through eight four-week uh, improv boot camp cohorts, diversity and, and inclusion uh, okay. improv series. And so that was 200. And what is compelling is that the research shows that in order to change, make make an effective change in an organization or society, we do not need 50% of the population to have a, a difference in mindset or a change of mind. In actual fact, the tipping point is closer to 20. It is that tw- once wow. 20% of an organization has embraced uh, and accepted their unconscious bias, they are full allyship, they, they have that mentality, they are understanding their bias, they, are co- they understand bystander. Uh, Interventions, twenty percent can create a cascade. Twenty percent is what is needed for that social contagion, and that is what we did in this. This is
1: so exciting to hear that
2: twenty percent is so doable. Isn't
1: that fascinating? I mean, we're not like, yeah. I mean, compared to what people are trying to do with herd immunity, you know, that that, this is a piece of cake. (laughs) This is so doable.
2: It is. It is, wow. and, the, and the um, and that twenty percent becomes so um, empowered and yes. invigorated, and they do not they do not persuade others. It is much more of attraction over promotion. Okay. It is much more uh, they um, their mindset is. Extremely based in positive psychology, right? Uh-huh. That this is the, that this is not only the way of the future, but it is. There's a strong business case for it. There's a better culture. There's a deep and meaningful sense of belonging in that organization, you know, and their talent acquisition reflects it, right? Because as we all know, people who are uh, they want to attract the best talent, the best engineers, the best scientists to this organization. And those scientists uh, that they are interviewing are interviewing the organization in turn and asking, what are you doing with your diversity and inclusion? How, what, what is this organization like? God mm. bless millennials for doing that. And right? so they are able to espouse, well, this is what we're doing because it is experiential. It is not ticking a box. It is not compliance. Yeah. It's culture. Yeah. I
1: don't think you know this about me. I'm in two improv troops and one improv troupe is a group of scientists who are millennials. What? And me. Stop it. I did not <laughs> know you saying me. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. And I feel so lucky and uh, grateful to be a part of this um, group of, uh, you know, they're hyper-intelligent, they're yeah. funny, they, they're playful, and I see with the influence of the other women, there's this expectation, and they're holding them to a higher bar of, "Hey guys, um, you know, we're not going to play that game because of this, or no, that that doesn't work." You know, and there's a there's a they're all holding each other accountable. And you know, when I do something wrong and make a mistake, they'll just casually point it out. And Mm -hmm. it's like you know, when someone says, you know, you got spinach in your teeth, it's sort of that just straightforward. Great. Okay. Let me, you know, fix that. Yeah.
2: So interesting that they hold others to the same bar. I was uh, having a conversation with a physicist friend of mine, and she was talking about a very um, difficult conversation that some female physicists were having. And they, they had this necessary confronting type conversation where they were saying things like, well, no, I don't wear pink or a floral shirt to work. I'm a I'm a scientist. You know, we have with it's that it was it burgeoned that fascinating conversation around how femininity was synonymous with weakness and what you show up as and who you are and and all of that. And it was um, those conversations are necessary. Yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Such such um, immensely satisfying. I oh yeah I totally get it. Wow. And you know
1: one of this this other area that as you describe is a also quite the monster is that of adaptability quotient. Oh. So let's take yep. a deep dive into that. Now I I did a little bit of research so I'm going to give listeners my understanding of AQ and then you can give us your if you got like a sexy definition we'll take that.
2: Oh you're the best. <laughs>
1: Okay. So listeners, the definition I have is it's the ability to determine what's relevant, to forget obsolete knowledge, overcome challenges, and adjust to change in
2: real time. Okay. Take it from there, Nance. Perfect. Like, listen to that, right? That is it. Everyone as a skill. Adaptability has gone from interesting to important. And I often like to say that Charles Darwin, in his Origin of the Species, when he talked about the survival of the fittest, he was not talking about the fastest. He was not talking about the strongest. He said that those who survive are those who are able to adapt. And indeed, it is what humans do. It is what we have always done. We adapt to our our environment. However, Right now, we are living in such exponential change. It is not that change is not happening, but the rate of change is exponential and important. The, um, the research shows that, you know, this is uh, Thomas Friedel's work, that the technological change in society is far outpacing the ability of human adaptation. Oh, so, Wow. Right, like look at that, and and while he says, while his research shows that you know we are here and we are unable to adapt through this global pandemic, and you know the the, the last uh, almost two years now, we're more like here. Like look at that. That is just um, it is it is worthy of our attention and respect because the ability to adapt and the um, and the consequences of how this can work for us is is relevant and timely and and important. So, um, So exactly as you say, you know, that it's our capacity to adjust one's thoughts and behavior in order to effectively respond. That sounds academic and it is. What we bring in my creative agency is the experience of Adapting. What does that? What does that feel like? What does that? How do we adapt, and under what circumstances? And so, um, the UK company called AQAI delivered the new social science metric, and it is a validated and reliable social science uh, quotient whereby we look at three things, and they call it the ACE model. And the ACE model. Uh, the A stands for our ability. How and to what extent do we adapt, right? And under this are the social science uh, uh, concepts of our grit and our mindset, our ability to unlearn, our, our um, resilience, and interestingly, something called mental flexibility, Mental flexibility. Mental mm-hmm. flexibility is that that ability whereby we hold two seemingly opposing concepts in balance. You know, law st- law schools do this well. We need to be able to hold two opposing sides. Those who those people who can do that are are more adaptable. So those five components are in ability. C stands for character. Who adapts and why? Um, interestingly. We look in things like our thinking style and our motivation style and our emotional range. And fascinatingly, we look at the science of hope, hope. Say more about that. Oh, turns out hope is tactical, tactical. Great researcher here is, is Shane Lopez. He does something called hope mapping we often hear some organizations say, you know, hope is not a strategy. You know, Silicon Valley says that all the time. Mm -hmm. And I get that. Oh my God, I get that. Of course it is not. However, individuals, humans who have a higher level of hope are better able to detect, foresee, and manage the obstacles in their path to achieving a goal, right? They have that, they just have that um uh, ability to withstand and bear all of the adversity that comes at them it Mm -hmm. is very strongly it is a it is one of the 17 components in this social science social science metric that is very strongly correlated with many other components and then we have e in the ace model the e stands for environment where do we adapt what type of you know under what uh what type of workplace do we need whereby adaptability is not only um, uh, not only there, but encouraged, right? So mm-hmm. we look at um, our company support, our team support, our emotional health, right? How many positive versus negative moments are we having at work?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, our, our ability to manage the stress at work. Right. This hugely influences our ability to adapt, because as as you know, you know when we are deeply under stress, um, our cognitive capacity narrows. We cannot think. We do not have the same ideation or brainstorming ability that is so necessary for innovative thinking. We simply can't do it. So more than anything else, why? Um, And they've got some big players now, my goodness, the United Nations and Microsoft and GSK, like there are some big, you know, people are taking AQ very seriously. Mm -hmm. They're looking at uh, what they can do to really impact, help those individuals who are maybe having a difficult time adapting and, and looking at how their environment can be conducive to better human adaptability. It's a great it's um it's a very interesting uh, body yeah. of work. And I improv is, seems like it was made for teaching this,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> it's that is I mean are we, we, we a little biased? Uh,
2: maybe. <laughs> Oh, oh my God, oh you're my crying. gosh! How true is that that is what we are forced to do you know i mean the uh many of your uh many of your listeners who might be familiar with improv are familiar with yes and oh yeah. yes yes that. means we accept the reality that is what has been created for us on stage, what the circumstances are in society today what lockdown what limited resources what budgetary constraints whatever doesn't mean i have to like it but i need to accept albert einstein said man should look at what is not at what he wants there to be yes simple acceptance and then the and is my you know on stage where i get to advance and heighten this scene and that's where i go and and the for how humans learn and how applied improv is so, oh my heavens, it's like a Venn diagram to adaptability quotient, right? I mean, the, the yes is uh, an experience in vulnerability, you know, like, I don't know what I have to say yes to, I don't know what I have to adapt mm-hmm. to, I don't know what mm-hmm. I'm going to have to do on stage, but mm-hmm. I know that I have to. That's mm-hmm. the rule, I have to say yes. Mm-hmm. That is vulnerable, it's risky and it's vulnerable. Yeah. And is an example of human empowerment. And all pedagogical research looks at those two scaffolding, uh, you know, that process of learning, vulnerability, empowerment, vulnerability, empowerment, we learn a little bit, and then we like what we've learned, Then we want to Mm share, and we learn a little bit more, and then we become even more empowered. And adaptability Mm -hmm. is no different. You know, it's going to be hugely important for our children. It's going to be hugely important for our organizations. If If the futurists and the sociologists are correct, we are going to see more change in society in the next 10 years than we have in the last 100. Holy smokes! I I mean, it is hard to wrap our head around that. There's a great documentary called Seeing the Invisible. Seeing the Invisible, Adaptability and the Future of Work. It's a quick, impactful, something like 11-minute documentary. I mean I'm seeing seeing, seeing the, the future. Yep, seeing the invisible. Oh, so excuse me, seeing invisible. the invisible. Yep, seeing okay. the invisible. Adaptability and the future of work. It is um we're going to be it goes uh, far beyond driverless cars, heavens. <laughs> yeah. That's just the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Right.
1: Nancy, when I'm listening to you, I mean that's what you just said about the in the next 10 years it's it's shocking. And I think I can't fully digest it and get, you know, my brain doesn't get, I can't quite get my head around it. At the same time, the other part of me is I'm not feeling panic because I know, like I've seen how I've managed through the pandemic. Now, granted, I live a privileged life. I, you know, I uh, financially, even though everything tanked for nine months, I was still stable. Nonetheless, my, my brain could have really messed with my, my mind, (laughs) my mind could mess with my brain. (laughs) One of those two things. Um, and, and I think that through the, from the years of improv, I was, there were a couple of weeks at the beginning and a couple of weeks, about six months in, you know, there was a little wobbling
2: time and the rest of the time I was good to go. Right. Right. Look at that. I love that example. Of course you were. And, and not to take anything away from the fact that I like you live COVID privilege, right? Like I, but but at the same time, I will tell you that I had that when COVID hit, I lost 90% of my revenue. I had jobs in four different countries and nine different cities and everything came to a screeching halt. So I pivoted online Built a light yep. board, continued to v- deliver virtual workshops, yeah. uh, did adaptability quotient and went there. And I did that only because I had this armor, this this resiliency built in from yes. our improv days. Who yeah, knew? our brains have,
1: yeah, our it's paid off our brains. Listen, um, we're gonna wrap up, but and before yeah. we do, I really want people, you've been writing on that very cool thing called a light board. Would you just put the website on there? Oh, so sure. uh, I listeners, love my toy. You should, it's so great. That way I don't have It's to... awesome. <laughs> Thank and you. Um, this is something, if you're only listening to the program, you might want to check out the video version of this so you can see this light board in action. Otherwise, just go directly to lightboarddepot.com.
2: Yeah. And you can check it out. Is that, I'm sorry for my, is that
1: light, legible, Amy? Lightboarddepot.com. It sure is. Yep. Okay, girl, we're going to wrap up here. Um, listeners, send me your communication, conundrums, clashes, challenges, mishaps, blunders, successes via email or social media, and I'll discuss them um, in the future. And if you want to connect with Nancy, you could go directly to her website, nancywatcom.com. And that's N-A-N-C-Y-W-A-T-T-C-O-M-M.com. And be sure to switch on, tune in, listen up and be inspired because next week, my last weekly show, I am going to, I'm hoping and expecting to pop in periodically, though on my final weekly show, I will be having conversation with my sister, Pat Kirkland, who is the founder of the Predator Prey Partner Model that I talk a lot about. And it's the reason I do what I do today. We're going to be getting into the nitty gritty of what I believe is one of the most powerful voice techniques to help you project gravitas and confidence and ward off a predator attack. You can check out my website for more information. You can connect with me on social media. And if you're game for more, I'm going to be hopping on the Facebook live five minutes past the hour for a short chat on today's show. Thank you, Nancy. This has been a wonderful conversation.
2: Oh, you're delightful. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Best to you. All the best for a wonderful 2022, Amy.
0: Thank
1: you. Yes, you too, Nancy. And to you listeners, you've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, Make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.